Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Recreational marijuana sales have begun in the city of Detroit after a long road of negotiation and wrangling over how cannabis businesses will be operated and regulated. Today, we're going to talk with City Councilman James Tate, who spearheaded the work on the city's pot sales ordinance, and with Al Williams, who recently opened the cut, one of the city's first recreational dispensaries. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. So it's hard to think of it, but it has been over four years since Michiganders voted to make recreational marijuana use legal in our state. And for most of that time, you haven't not been able to buy recreational cannabis in the state's largest city, Detroit. That's because Detroit has been grappling with legal challenges and concerns about how to best distribute recreational marijuana licenses to potential sellers. That all changed early this year as the first licensed recreational dispensaries opened up in early January. In all, the city provided licenses to 33 total applicants in December, and there will be a second application round that's expected to start as soon as the end of this month. This is really uncharted territory for the city, as a lot of people continue to grapple with what the sale of recreational marijuana is going to mean for Detroit, both positively and potentially in the negative light. Proponents of widespread recreational sales say this is going to provide the city with important additional tax revenue and it will give us oversight of the industry. And when you consider that people have been using and will continue to use marijuana recreationally, whether it is legal or not, it seems kind of silly not to capture this revenue for the benefit of the city and its residents. On the other hand, a lot of people argue that local governments should just not be in the business of endorsing drug use. They highlight studies that link marijuana use to increases in psychiatric disorders and the harmful effects it can have on developing brains in particular. They say these businesses are really kind of preying on those who are more likely to be harmed by overuse and that we're not providing adequate support in terms of health and wellness for these citizens. To the critics, this tax revenue generated can't outweigh the cost, the social cost, to local communities. So how do we reconcile all these concerns? Is the sale of recreational marijuana in Detroit an overall positive for the city and its residents? Or... Is this a kind of short-sighted cash grab that may have more harmful, unintended consequences that we didn't anticipate? A little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Al Williams, who is president of DeCut, one of the first businesses to sell recreational marijuana here in Detroit. We're going to hear about how he got into this business and what he's experiencing now that he's open. But first... We're joined by Detroit City Council President Pro Tem James Tate. He says the city is fighting to make sure that communities that are harmed by marijuana's prohibition have a chance to benefit from its legalization. He has been working really hard on this issue for several years, and it is great to have him here in the studio. Councilman Tate, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, sir. Good to see you. So it's been about two weeks since yes. the first stores started selling recreational marijuana in Detroit. As I said, it's been a long road uh, for us to get to this point. Um, 
from the city's perspective, what is this milestone about? Uh, is this pushing Detroit in the right direction? Or do you have some of the concerns that, uh, that other folks have about what this will do? What kind of cultural and social cost uh, all this will bring? Well, you know, this is, you know, to, to your point, this has been a long journey to get <laughs> to where we are today. <laughs> we about this forever. Yeah. I mean, so the, the, the conversation and the ordinances and the licensing and the process surrounding medical marijuana was uh, back in 2014. And as the voters uh, went to the polls uh, and approved uh, adult use uh, marijuana, cannabis, in the state of Michigan in 2018, I mean, literally uh, the city of Detroit had 68 percent approval. And that is uh, opposed to 59% approval in the entire state. So yeah. it was very clear that those we were who very went to enthusiastic the polls. about yeah. that. <laughs> um, but that's not uncommon. I mean, when we look at any type of ordinance that, uh, or any type of uh, proposal, if you will, that goes to the ballot that deals with cannabis, uh, it's 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 been you know widely uh, supported by voters. So um, it wasn't a matter of should we do it or should we not do it. It's a matter of how do we make it work on behalf of our residents. And the other piece that you know folks don't like to talk about, but you know what I have to deal with is there's a very uh, crafty, creative, uh, and resourceful group of individuals who, uh, if the city of Detroit does not put together uh, ordinancing uh, licensing process, they will do it for us and put it on the ballot. And as I've said before, uh, the city of Detroit has been very kind to a cannabis-related uh, proposal. So uh, it was very important for, for me and certainly others to take you know, somewhat of control of what this may mean and look like for the city of Detroit. Um, and in, when we talk about a city like ours that has been disproportionately impacted by cannabis uh, or marijuana arrests, how do you ensure to the best of your ability that those who have been prosecuted in the, in the past have a fair opportunity, a fair shot at licensing? And we look around the country uh, and populations like the ones I mentioned uh, typically are the ones that are, like you said, preyed upon mm -hmm. um, by others uh, and not those residents not having a true opportunity to compete for these licenses. And, you know, we fought tooth and nail through a number of years of court uh, hearings and fights and threats and battles and finally got it over the threshold. I ironically, the same judge who put the <laughs> brakes on our very first ordinance, who said, no, it is potentially uh, unconstitutional, was the same judge that ultimately gave us the green light. No pun intended. Yes, it is. <laughs> All pun intended. <laughs> he was the one that gave us the green light on December 21st uh, to allow us to uh, move forward with this licensing process. And the other piece of irony is December 21st, that's my birthday. So that was a great <laughs> birthday gift. I can't imagine gift. one I've had. After all this time. That's right. Not one uh, better than that in, in, in a number of years. So so I, I want to talk a little more about licensing and fairness and inclusion because those were the concerns that I heard from lots of people about mm. who will get access uh, and whether Detroiters uh, themselves, uh, ourselves, will, will, will get a fair a fair shot at this. Uh, I, I still hear some grumbling yeah. uh, about the process, and I feel I hear from people who feel like they've been left out. But but talk about how this is structured to, from your point of view, to uh, to to be inclusive, uh, to give Detroiters opportunity. Yeah, I mean, so like like any process, unfortunately, and no one likes to hear this. There's going to be winners and losers, and and I say losers when I and when I say that, I mean those who are not uh, going to. To, to receive uh, uh, awards for licensing based on financial situation, based on land use, uh, uh, they, they don't have control over it, uh, you name it. There's a whole host of reasons why uh, folks may not be able to either compete or succeed in obtaining a license. What I can say is that uh, what we created were two tracks, one for equity applicants, and these are you know people who have been, again, in uh, disproportionately impacted uh, populations, uh, certainly the city of Detroit overwhelmingly is one of those. And then we had another track of um, of, of licensing for non-equity, and that's pretty much everybody else, mm -hmm. wh whoever shall come. And I'm so pleased to see that we had uh, overall 90 applicants, uh, both sides included. Now, when you break down those two sides, you had 50 applicants who were non-equity. That's the everybody else category. That's whoever shall come. 
now, I will say that within that mix, there were some Detroiters who did not hmm. uh, qualify for an equity applicant to be an equity, equity applicant. Excuse me. But then when we go on the equity applicant side, what really excites me is that of the 40 that applied, 39 have Detroit as their primary residence. So we've already, based upon the demographic of the city of Detroit, and we have not gone through and done a demographic study on who actually received these licenses, all that's going to come in due time. Uh, we want to make sure that what we do is, is proper and can be defensible in court because this is a very litigious industry. Sure. Um, but what we can, what I can say is that 39 of those 40 applicants uh, on the social equity side have Detroit as their primary residence. And we had a third-party scoring uh, agency that came in and ensured that folks' financial uh, records were on par. Uh, there was no straw man situation that was taking place. Um, so I feel very strongly about it, very uh, excited about the opportunities for Detroiters. If we were just to open up, in my opinion, uh, licensing for, again, whoever shall come, uh, I believe wholeheartedly that uh, we would not see the numbers of Detroiters uh, We'd be left behind and left behind again. So that, that that was what the real fight was about. It was not about should we have uh, cannabis, should we not? It, that that horse had left the barn already. It was about how do we make sure that in an industry uh, in the city of Detroit that certainly has shown no uh, ceiling, that Detroiters have a true opportunity to compete for these awards. And um, I think at least first round, mission accomplished. We'll see what happens and, and how it all shakes out. Yeah. I'm talking with Detroit City Council President Pro Tem James Tate. Uh, he represents District 1 in the city, in the northwest uh, part of the city. Uh, he is also uh, one of the folks on council who spearheaded the city's new ordinance allowing and regulating recreational cannabis businesses, which started opening in the city just a few weeks ago uh, here in January of 2023. Uh, we're talking about that long march to this point where we actually have recreational dispensaries in the city of Detroit. 2018 was the year that uh, people in the state of Michigan voted to make recreational marijuana legal. We have been uh, negotiating and wrangling for some time to make sure that that happens in a way that makes sense here in the city of Detroit. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think of recreational marijuana sales kicking off here in the city? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? Or are you somewhere in between? Uh, are you someone who is uh, going to buy recreational uh, can cannabis? Uh, are things different for you now than they were before. Uh, also, would love to hear from folks who are involved in this industry. Tell us about your experiences in a little bit. We're going to talk with Al Williams, who uh, is the owner of one of the new dispensaries here in the city. We'd love to hear from other folks as well. Uh, also, give us a sense of what impact you think this might have on the city and its neighborhoods. Uh, are these the equivalent of liquor stores, for instance, and uh, the, the kinds of concerns that people have about liquor stores in their neighborhoods. Are those going to kind of repeat themselves uh, around these new dispensaries? Or do you think this is something entirely different and maybe we don't really know what impact it'll have? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation uh, that way. Uh, James, I do want to talk about the, the social and cultural impact of these things and, and talk about location in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I have talked before about concerns about the, the clustering of medical marijuana dispensaries that, that, that happened when that was legalized. Uh, there are people in neighborhoods who say, hey, you know, I don't really want this uh, near my home or my school or my church. Uh, how is the city approaching that? And are there legitimate concerns about where these are going to go? Yeah, so I, I think the legitimate concern comes from what the, the industry looked like prior to any licensing or, or, or ordinance coming into effect. This was prior to uh, the 2015 ordinance that was approved by council uh, that uh, dictated where they can go and, and how they would operate. It was basically the wild, wild west. As you recall, uh, emergency management was in, in place at mm -hmm. that time, and it was certainly not a priority. Um, so you would have certainly four, five, six, sometime even more on one block, on one corner, 
are all clustered. Sometimes these uh, these in, in, uh, these businesses were owned by the same individual to to ensure that they cornered the market uh, totally. Uh, so yeah, I, I I can see where people would be afraid that we would go back to that wild wild west type of atmosphere. But once we went into the licensing uh, phase of things, and once we uh, determined what zoning looked like, uh, we placed these facilities at least a thousand feet away from each other, um, a thousand feet away from churches, schools, uh, parks. Um, that 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 really, in my opinion, changed the game. Uh, it, it, it provided more of a buffer for residents. It provided an opportunity for uh, other businesses to also be weaved into uh, the business climate uh, because, again, it was it, it was crazy. We had uh, at one point in time more than 200 and I think 280 we had counted, 270 in the city of Detroit, which was absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, so, so that's the frame of mind that a lot of folks still have, that bad taste in their mouth because they were in their neighborhoods. Um, but now, because of the way that we have structured zoning, uh, I, I have less of a fear or concern as a lifelong Detroiter that there is going to be a um, um, overrunning uh, in, in our neighborhoods. It's just really based on our zoning, not possible. Now, you will have some clustering in industrial areas uh, for sure, but industrial areas are a very unique situation. If we're talking about you know where you have uh, these high uh, intensive uses already allowable in those spaces, uh, I don't see how having a cannabis-related business will be detrimental. And if you and, and one of the other concerns I had, you know, again, being a lifelong Detroiter, I know some of the of the the, the challenges we've had with uh, uh, property crimes and things of that nature. Uh, in my mind, I could not fathom having stores with you know pounds and pounds of marijuana inside and they not being you know run through on a regular basis. But we haven't seen that. So, we, we haven't seen it, Stephen. And, and I think that's something that we always need to keep in mind. And, and if there is one that pops up and there is a, uh, some, you know, someone goes through a wall and takes the, the, the cannabis from that building, that's bad. But we also have to look at the fact that no business, unfortunately, has been immune from that type of behavior. But we have not seen a, a overall overwhelming situation where uh, these businesses have created um, blighted or criminal activity in our community. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I also want to talk about the money. Um, and I think there's a little bit of confusion on some people's part, including mine, about the tax revenue here and what it means. This is different from medical marijuana sales and the tax revenue that uh, that the state collected uh, from those businesses. This is more of a direct shot in the arm uh, to city coffers. Explain how that works. Yeah, so, so, so to make it long story short, the way it works is that you don't necessarily receive the funds on the front end as a municipality. Uh, your, the funding that you receive uh, from this industry is based upon uh, income tax for one, but then also from the, the sales, from the sales tax of the, the industry based upon proportionally how many uh, businesses that you have in your uh, municipality. Uh, retail in particular. So with the city of Detroit now having uh, at least 30 on the books, that now allows us to receive funding from uh, marijuana sales, whereas in the past we could not. That business structure does not, that business model, excuse me, does not exist for the medical marijuana industry. So you'll see a, a, a lot of uh, municipalities who did not <laughs> welcome medical marijuana by any means. Now they're a lot more receptive to uh, recreational or adult use because of the fact that, you know, the, the cities have an opportunity to receive some, you know, depending on how many facilities you have and how large the industry is in the state of Michigan, uh, it, it could be, you know, definitely make it worth your while to uh, go down this pathway as a municipality. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take uh, a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about recreational marijuana sales in the city of Detroit kicking off here in January. What do you think of all those things? We want to get going on the phones and on social as well. Uh, Brenda in Detroit, you'll be up first. If you want to join her, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Tell me what your experience has been with recreational marijuana sales. What's going on in your neighborhood? Are you concerned maybe about uh, recreational dispensaries hopping up? Uh, also give us a sense if you're just 
against this whole idea. Like, we still don't think this is a great thing for us to legalize uh, in the state of Michigan. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We can include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. My guest right now is Detroit City Council President Pro Tem James Tate. Uh, he represents District 1 here in the city uh, and was one of the council people who spearheaded the city's new ordinance, allowing and regulating recreational cannabis businesses, which uh, began opening their doors here in the city of Detroit earlier in January after nearly four years of wrangling and negotiation over how these dispensary licenses would be distributed. Uh, We want to hear from you as well uh, during the conversation. What do you think of the beginning of recreational marijuana sales here in the city? Are you somebody who's maybe involved in the industry? We'd love to hear what your experiences have been like. Uh, If you're somebody who lives here, let us know what you think of the idea that one of these businesses, I guess, could be close to your neighborhood, to your school, to your church, to your home. Are you okay with that? Uh, is this uh, another nuisance that you worry uh, will visit on the place where you live here in the city of Detroit? <clears throat> or are you somebody who's really excited about uh, the, the freedom that comes with being able to buy recreational marijuana and the tax revenue that the city is going to enjoy because of it. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to uh, Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Brenda in Detroit. Brenda, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you for welcoming me. Uh-huh. Um, I am against it. I'm not against a person using marijuana. But I'm tired of smelling it in the air. It's all <laughs> in the neighborhood. Everywhere you go, you smell it. I don't want a city smelling like marijuana. So, Brenda, um, uh, tell me more about that. What, what what part of the city do you live in? And, and do you literally walk out your door and smell marijuana? I live on the east side, yes. And it's not only on the east side. It's all over the city. Hmm. And, and you said you don't have a problem with people, uh, you know, um, using it. Using it. Uh, do you have uh, an issue with these dispensaries and where where they might be? Or are you are you cool with that too? You're just worried about, uh, I guess, the environmental effect. Yeah, I um, I have a, a problem where they'll be located because it's about money and it's going to get out in control, and then we have to fight like heck. To get it right, mm. but now, it, like it is now, you can still smell it everywhere you go. And you have children; you don't want them smelling that all day long. Yeah, uh, Brenda, I really appreciate the call uh, and and the info. Uh, James Tate, wh- wh- what are the answers to her concerns? That smell. I mean, look, I, I lived in the city a long time. You know, when there you are smell places, it. there are places where you go and you absolutely. I smell marijuana. I'm not sure I've smelled it as much as Brenda says she has, but but that is a concern. If more people are are doing this because it's legal, I guess that smell could uh, permeate a little broader in the city. Yeah, I think that's part of uh, what has to really be determined. Is it? Are we talking about the uh, fact that people are smoking more because it's it's now uh, legal? Adult use is legal. Or is that just, again, the, the trends that we see around the country? Because when we look at even the black market, I mean, the city of Detroit literally just uh, got online with uh, adult use licensing for retail shops uh, in, in December. And we just got our first ones uh, early this, this month. Um, 
and I don't think just by what I heard from from Brenda that this is a new challenge that she's um, experiencing. It's one that's overall we've got to certainly deal with as a community. I'm, now, the law is, is very clear. You cannot consume in, in public spaces. Um, you know, unfortunately, right. marijuana we have, is still illegal at the federal level. Yeah. And, and just even explicitly in our ordinance, explicitly in, in the, the, the rules that we have, you cannot consume cannabis in public spaces. Uh, but can you consume in your backyard? Yes. Uh, so if, if, if Brenda lives next door to someone who consumes cannabis, uh, can they consume cannabis on, on their property in their backyard? Yes, you can. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's part of, you know, the educational process as well. Um, there is a sense of uh, we've got to educate the, the community who, who who's not uh, open to uh, uh, cannabis, what the uses are and how you can use them. But we certainly need to uh, educate and and even do more enforcement to the best of our ability for those who may uh, go afoul of, of the ordinances and the laws that we have. Because what it does is it creates uh, individuals uh, having those ill feelings toward the industry. Uh, like like Brenda does now in 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 our licensing process, if we're talking again about the smell and the mitigation of it, uh, our our ordinance uh, provides standards that are necessary and required for approval. Uh, when we talk about the air filtration, so you won't smell this coming from a actual facility, whether we're talking about a grow facility mm-hmm. or retail, that is required in our ordinance and it is inspected by our building and safety folks. Uh, so, it's, you know, can we say the same that that, that came from these um, illegal grow houses in the neighborhood? Not so much. You know, and, and to me, those are much more of a danger to our community. Those illegal grow houses in our neighborhoods that have just commandeered vacant homes uh, or, you know, some have even bought, bought homes sure. for this purpose. Uh, to me, that is much more of a concern. And, and you know, now it provides, I think, our authorities an opportunity to to really streamline their enforcement uh, to actual brick and mortar stores that have licensing, um, and it will, will, in my opinion, take some of the um, pressure off of uh, our community residents having those illegal locations in, in in our neighborhoods. It doesn't eliminate it. Black yeah. market doesn't go away, no matter what industry you talk about. Uh, but it does certainly um, uh, shrink it. What about concerns that people have about overuse and support for health and wellness kinds of uh, infrastructure that we might need if, mm-hmm. if uh, you know, more people, I mean, there are these debates about addiction and, and things like that, but, but overuse, I think, is, is a pretty uh, easy, easy benchmark to, to, to try to uh, pinpoint and, and say, look, we may need more, we may need more help for folks. Uh, what are we doing as a city on that front? Yeah, so, so as a city, we have put aside, uh, set aside some funding for additional education that goes towards uh, substance abuse, cannabis uh, abuse. Um, but I also want to, to highlight, you know, and we have to when we start talking about the data that's out there, there's data that no matter where you look that has, you know, po- that shows positive benefits for, for cannabis as well. They have testimonial um, uh, testimonies from folks who also provide um, positive uh uh, reviews and 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 provides positive understanding of what cannabis has done for them in their lives. So there, everything in moderation. That's what we have to always keep in mind. Salt is a killer. Sugar <laughs> is a killer. Uh, and we're not banning salt and sugar uh, and not getting rid of them. We're only in, in some situations doing even more, <laughs> putting mm-hmm. it in our food. So I think the responsibility, the onus, is is certainly on the individual for sure. The city cannot police individuals in their homes. Uh, as much as we may try or those who want us to do so. Um, but putting the information and the education out there, making sure that this industry is moving towards licensing as opposed to, you know, behind closed doors, uh, in a backyard, at a vacant home. Um, we have to look at all of the the ways that it holistically uh, affects our community. There's pros and cons in, in no matter what. I, I won't pretend that this is the, the you know, going to solve all of our issues, whether it's financially or health related or uh, any of those things. But what I will say is that we can't put all of our, our ills, our challenges on uh, the cannabis industry, whether legal or illegal either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Brenda, appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go next to Barbara in Detroit. Barbara, what's on your oh, mind? Oh, hi. Hi. Go ahead. I'm, I'm interested in knowing are the grow operations inspected? Do we know what how what, if, what they're using on these plants, if anything? 
Uh, yeah. well, how do we know what, how, how, what are the controls over like the uh, edibles? How do we know what the strength of these products are? It, well, well, the good thing is, thank you for calling. The good thing is that each one of these proje- products that uh, has to go through, um, that, that is sold out of a, a retail establishment or a micro business establishment, it has to go through testing, uh, stringent testing, let me just say. Um, and it's not one where you test inside of your own facility. Uh, it is going through a third-party tester, and it, uh, the state tracks the uh, product from seed to sale. So that was that was one of the concerns that some folks had, that government was too involved, that it, we had too many uh, protections, so to speak. Just let the industry do what the industry has been doing, you know, uh, in the, 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 the black and gray market all these years. Um, but there was pushback. And we, in order for folks to, to be, feel comfortable about, about what they're consuming, and certainly for a, a government to uh, promote the possibility of licensing uh, this type of product, uh, we have to do our best to ensure that it is, it is as safe as possible. But I, I go back again. If you're not, if you're not a, a experienced user and you consume uh, far more than your body is, is tolerant of, you're going to have some ill effects. Um, if you're someone who consumes... Uh, on on a regular basis and disregards your other responsibilities, that's going to have negative effects. Mm-hmm. But but there are you know thousands and thousands upon thousands of stories of folks who have consumed for years and have had you know uh, to their to their knowledge no negative effects. Um, and and again, everything in moderation, uh, I think, is a wise model to take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Barbara, appreciate the call and. Uh, the question, let's go next to Cheryl Ann, who's in Ontario. Uh, Cheryl Hi, Ann, welcome Stephen. to the show. Hey. Hi, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for taking the call. Very interesting. Uh-huh. Go ahead. I uh, just wanted to say, uh, when it comes to the legalization of uh, marijuana use, um, there's no additives that you know the source. The government has sealed it. Uh, the black market industry, other than if you're underage, uh, and purchasing, which can be dangerous. Uh, but um, the black market, I, I feel is going to be eliminated simply because the deals that you can make purchases for $20 on seven grams, mm. uh, you can get uh, $50 for an ounce. That eliminates black market. Mm. And and it, in your estimation, is that is that progress? Is that something we want? to have happen? When you research it, you can get up to 30% THC or 15% or just CBD. I think uh, the miracle plant is uh, accessible for all people in need. And yes, definitely moderation. Mm. But uh, this black market is going to be eliminated and, and and to the fact that I don't know if you can buy seeds in America, but I have a neighbor uh, who buys it in the spring, grows it outdoors, and has it all winter. <laughs> Doesn't pay anything other than $30 for a seed. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Cheryl Ann, I appreciate the call and the, and the perspective there. That idea of the black market and, and you know, look, in Detroit um, – you know, drug sales uh, are, are a spectrum, right? Uh, and, and they start at the the illegal sale of marijuana, but they graduate to much much uh, harsher and uh, more dangerous drugs. Uh, what's the effect? I guess. Uh, what do you think is the effect, uh, James Tate, on on that? And and again, on this really robust illegal drug market that we have in the city. Yeah, I mean, to, to the to I think Cheryl was her name. Cheryl, Cheryl to, to yeah. Cheryl's uh, point, you know, you know what you're going to get when you when you look at a uh, when you purchase from a, a retail establishment that's been regulated and licensed. Uh, what you have on the street and in, in, in some s- certain circumstances, stuff that's been as they call stepped on, uh, added things added to it mm-hmm. to make it more potent. Uh, that's not necessarily natural. Um, things may have been sprayed on it. You have no idea what you're getting. There is this level of confidence that. Uh, those who are purchasing inside of a licensed facility uh, where the, the product has been tested thoroughly, uh, there's a level of confidence that uh, a customer can have um, in that situation that you don't necessarily have uh, on the black market. And, and you know, there's some folks on the black market who have 
clients, they've been ha- having clients for decades. You know, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, when we start talking about the industry and the market itself, uh, I, just like others, the reason why we have regulation um, of industries in total, uh, not just cannabis, is to ensure to the best of our ability that uh, those who are consuming that product is uh, that they're safe. Yeah. They're safe. Okay, uh, James Tate, President Pro Tem of the Detroit City Council and representative of District 1 in Northwest Detroit. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about recreational marijuana. Al Williams, who is president of DeCut Recreational and Medical Cannabis Dispensary, is going to come in and talk about his experiences running one of the first licensed retail stores here in Detroit. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined us. Uh, now that we're two weeks into the legal sale of recreational marijuana here in Detroit, we also want to get an idea of what the experience looks like from the perspective of some of the businesses that have opened and maybe expanded even as a result of the change. To help us learn a little more about this, uh, we've got Al Williams, who is president of the Cut, a recreational and medical cannabis dispensary in Detroit with us. Al, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much, Mr. Henderson. Good to be here. Good to see you again. It's good to see you as well. Uh, I've seen you in the papers. I've seen you on TV talking okay. about uh, talking about uh, your new business. Uh, tell me about this uh, this new this new venture of yours, The Cut. Well, you know, it's an exciting time in the city of Detroit. Um, you know, ever since the city is been fighting to get this ordinance passed, whether it's medical and now, of course, recreational. Uh, it's a new industry and a new opportunity for people to get into business, make a profit, and help others. Uh, and so over at The Cut, we're on Gratiot. Uh We're um, fully open, recreational and medical. Um, we haven't lost our medical clients, of course. <laughs> um, it seems like they're increasing every day still. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been really exciting um, to to. Uh, be over in the neighborhood, in the community, hiring Detroiters and giving back to the community as much as possible. So uh, let's let's start there. That this was a business that you had before that was a medical cannabis uh, business. Correct. Why was it important to you to add recreational? Uh, to to that portfolio? You know, in the state of Michigan, the medical industry is dying. Uh, Less and less people are renewing their medical cards every month. Um, And more and more um, municipalities are opting into recreational. And so it was important for us to, you know, be there to push um, the hardworking councilman like James Tate uh, and work with him as much as possible to get this this rec industry open or else we would we would have a state with the largest city uh, being the city of Detroit that was not wrecked. It would not have been the biggest industry as it is without the city of Detroit going recreational. Yeah. So um, what are the differences that you've noticed then in the last few weeks as you've been able to switch to selling both medical and recreational? What 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 uh, was changed? Three weeks ago we had uh, – you know, about uh, 15 employees. Now we're at 33. Is that right? <laughs> uh, and we're hiring more. Um, that's one of our biggest issues is staffing up and staffing up quickly uh, to be able to handle um, all the requests that are coming in, whether it's delivery or face-to-face ordering. Um, and then training, of course, uh, has been uh, another uh, big, big hurdle of ours. We're, we're making sure that every one of our employees is trained. Um, and then, you know, our door is swinging. Um, it's, it's open. Um, and people are coming in. We're seeing a lot more customers than we used to uh, three weeks ago. Um, you know, a lot of people that had medical cards or that smoked marijuana uh, weren't visiting the Detroit stores uh, prior to going recreational. They were going across 8 Mile, going mm-hmm. across Telegraph, mm-hmm. going downriver. 
um, to um, get their product. And now they were recreational. We're seeing a lot of those customers come back to us. I want to talk a little about the licensing process, which um, was one of the things that held us up, you know, to get to this point, the, the, the wrangling over how licenses should be distributed, how could uh, the city make sure that Detroiters and people who live here could actually participate. Uh, tell me how that went for you and whether you think uh, we still maybe need changes, even though you were one of the businesses that actually that got one of the licenses. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that um, James Tate and the city council and, and uh, city employee or the city administration were doing a lot of the right things um, to bring this industry to bear uh, and making sure that uh, they had they included people like me in that process, um, included people like me when it came to when it comes to, you know, just make being able to take it, take an opportunity and make a profit. Um, but the licensing process, the ordinance process, it was tough. Uh, four years of back and forth. I mean, the, the whole legacy opportunity that came and went and died. Um, and then, of course, the past year um, dealing with this, the, the second or third ordinance that was put into place. Um, and then once the ordinance was passed, um, you know, we had to get our stuff together. I mean, making sure that you met, you know, all of the criteria um, that was requested by the city. Um, a lot of people weren't able to do that. I mean, you had to still go through inspections. You had to still get your certificate of occupancy. You had to still make sure that you had an up-to-date layout of your uh, and plan. And then, um, you know, you had to make sure that you uh, were on the up and up with your taxes, which is a, another big hurdle in this industry. You can ask anybody. The federal <laughs> government does not play um, when it comes to their, their, um, their portion of this. Uh, and so, you know, the 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 licensing process, once we got the application, um, you know, we went through step by step, spent days and nights uh, as a team um, and some of my staff members making sure that we met every single point and got every single point that we could receive. Um, and we're, we were excited. We knew going into this to, onto the deadline of the application process that we were going to do well. Hmm. Do you think that the process is inclusive enough for some folks who still feel left out yeah i mean i think that the process is the process i mean this is a capitalistic society i think a lot of people are you know as mary sheffield once said after they pass the first ordinance there's going to be winners and losers in this game and i think that's the same in business i mean uh, i think they do i think the city can be more inclusive yes do i think they can open up um they can and the way they do that is by opening up more locations um, you know, it's hard right now with the limited licenses uh, and the limited space, um, you know, to get into industry if you're not if you don't have partners and have enough funding. Um, that's another issue, the funding. So uh, I think the city is doing their best to be as inclusive as possible. Um, you know, and there are other ways that they can make it more inclusive. I always thought that downtown and midtown should be included in this. So I want to ask you a, a, a question as a Detroiter uh, and not necessarily as a business owner. You were just saying, like, if we opened up more licenses and could have more more stores, then more people could participate. Mm -hmm. But do you think that's a good thing for Detroit? I mean, you you grew up here like I did, and mm -hmm. and um, do you worry about the social cost of this becoming a place with concentrated marijuana dispensaries? You know, I, I look at other states like Oregon, Colorado, uh, and how they're doing. I look at the state of California, how they're doing, and, and the major cities that are in those states, and how they have. Um, you know, they have opened up the market. They have hundreds of dispensaries that are available and they don't have the problem of um, um, they do have some inclusive problems, but they don't have the problem of it being dangerous and people killing each other off of marijuana. And so, yeah, I think that Detroit is ripe um, for more um, dispensaries. I really do. Um, if they keep it limited, that's better for me. <laughs> but in order more money to for Al, right? exactly, <laughs> but uh, you know, in order to make it more inclusive, there are a couple only a couple of ways that they can do it, and that's by opening up more locations uh, and allowing for more licenses. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Al Williams, who's uh, the president of Decut, a recreational and 
medical cannabis dispensary here in Detroit. Uh, January of this year is when we finally began to see uh, recreational dispensaries open uh, here in the in the city after four years of talking back and forth about uh, how we would regulate all of that. We want to hear from you as well during the conversation. Uh, give us a call and let us know what you think about the opening of recreational marijuana dispensaries here in the city. Is that a good thing? Uh, are you somebody who's participating in this industry in some way? Give us a call and let us know what uh, what that's like. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. Let's go to Rick in Detroit. Rick, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. Hi. Good morning. Uh, it's very interesting that I heard you mention that you got to have your money ready for the feds as far as taxes and whatnot, considering, I guess, Federally, it's still illegal. But that wasn't the point I wanted to make. I wanted to make the point of how this compares to the early days of the numbers in Detroit and, I guess, nationwide, hmm. where the the founders are basically cut off once the government gets involved and decides they're going to make it legal. So, so what, what you're – I mean, uh, Rick, I'm, I just want to make sure – I'm I'm following you here. You're saying that like the numbers when the lottery started, uh, put all of the folks who who ran that operation effectively out of business. You're saying that the uh, legalization of recreational marijuana will do the same thing to drug dealers. Well, no, not necessarily. No. I mean that uh, say the initial founders of the lottery, many of of whom went to jail because of you know, because of what happened, mm -hmm. it was illegal back then, mm -hmm. lost property, lost, mm -hmm. you know, their homes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Now, on a larger scale, many of the drug dealers who, like, say, uh, ran things illegally, who lived in Palmer Woods and Southfield, and they had to give up all their properties and spend time in jail, not necessarily for running just marijuana. I mean, I'm sure they sure. were dabbling in other things as well, but... You know, my point was, would those who initially suffered, will they be getting compensation? That's a great really do, though. Yeah. Uh, Rick, I really appreciate the call, and I think that's a really important uh, question to raise. Al, what, what, what's your answer? I think the state is, is, is doing a good job. They can do a lot better when it comes to being inclusive of anyone who has had a felony or, a con or who's had a, any kind of... Um, jail time or been in trouble uh, in the past prior to this industry becoming legal um, you know part of the requirement uh, of identifying social equity areas was that you know places that were identified like Detroit Flint Pontiac Saginaw these are all areas that had uh, an, a large number of individuals who were arrested for selling marijuana illegally and if you are from those areas you can get pre-qualified uh, as a social equity applicant by the state. Uh, and so I think that's a good first step. Do I think it's far enough? No, I think the governors uh, and Garland are doing, um, you know, looking at ways to uh, forgive those who may still be in jail right now um, for, um, you know, selling marijuana when it wasn't legal. Um, and I think that they need to move quickly to be able to do that. And then last but not least, you know, you got business owners. My team and I, we are hiring um, individuals right now uh, who may have had uh, felonies or misdemeanors in the past from uh, the marijuana game mm -hmm. and operating illegally. And so, you know, we hire Detroiters first. We hire those who might have been affected negatively by this industry first. We put a priority on that. Um, and right now we got 33 uh, employees and of the 33, uh, more than 30, just over 30 percent of our employees have a felony and or misdemeanor on their record. Um, have, or have been convicted of marijuana sales when it was illegal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I also want to go back to something that Rick talked about with uh, regard to taxes, hmm. federal taxes, oh, uh, which which you do have to pay. Yeah. Uh, but but his question about you know the fact that marijuana is still a, an illegal drug federally, that that idea that it is taxed, I guess that that is something of a contradiction. Um, but but. Uh, the, the fact that it is 
illegal federally also causes you some other issues with with money. I mean, there, there's banking. Some, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I, there's a, a lot of banks that won't. You can't open an account in. I mean, yes, it does cause some issues. You have to do your due diligence there in the state of Michigan. I think that there are a number of credit unions that have opened their doors. Uh, to dispensaries, uh, grow houses, processors. Uh, there are a number of small banks that are open, have opened their doors, but major banks really, uh, you, they don't. You know, I can, I've heard stories, I mean, ridiculous stories of people having to go uh, exchange money on a, on a regular basis. They have hired one person just to deal with, you know, depositing their cash mm. in different areas because it's so difficult. And then the 280E tax is a monster. I mean, you have to... You know, you really have to put your ducats away in order to stay in business um, in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Al Williams, uh, it's always great to talk to you. Congratulations uh, on getting the new license and uh, opening your recreational business. Do you expect that uh, the sales will stay as strong as you've seen them in the last couple of weeks for yeah, for some absolutely. Time. I think they'll get better. Um, uh, you know the the you know our our door has been swinging as I've said. Um, you know we've been pretty busy. Uh, I think we're going to continue to grow. Um, I think Detroiters are still coming around to realize who's open, who's not for recreational marijuana. Um, I think when you have a uh, a billion dollar industry such as this in the city of Detroit, um, a lot of people have been taking their money outside of the city have found the brands that they like uh, and once they realize that we have those brands and we're selling recreational they'll bring those dollars right They're back to, to you city. yep absolutely okay yep 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 come see me you know <laughs> and we're hiring that's right you're hiring that's a, that's a really important point as well there's opportunity for folks all right uh, that's gonna do it for us today Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the rise of sports betting here in Michigan and its potential ramifications on the state. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>